0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for black women by black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley. And yeah, thanks for coming back and tuning into the podcast. Today, we have a really special guest that does something that I honestly didn't even think about in the realm of mental health. So I'm really excited to talk to her today. I'm excited for you guys to hear what she has to say. Um, But today for the podcast, we have Claire Ellerbach, Now, I'm going to go through all the acronyms. If you listen to the podcast, sometimes I fumble over these acronyms because it's a lot. But (laughs) Claire, (laughs) the acronyms that follow Claire's name, uh, D-N-P-A-P-R-N-P-H, no, P-M-H-N-P-Dash-B-C. So I guess in short, I... Uh, in my head, Claire is the psychiatric nurse practitioner coming on the pod, but I will let her kind of break down uh, the acronyms in just a moment. But welcome to welcome to the pod,
1: Claire. Thanks so much for having me, Ashley. I appreciate it. Yes, Happy yes. Happy to be here.
0: Yes, I'm super excited for this episode. Um, just a bit about Claire. She is a doctorally prepared psychiatric nurse practitioner, like I mentioned before. She treats individuals struggling with depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, trauma, and addiction. She's doing all the things. Claire is passionate about health equity and providing quality mental health care to marginalized and underserved populations. Um, She also has created an online educational platform for nurse practitioners called Nurtured Path for Nurse Practitioners. We're actually going to get into that a little bit later into kind of what inspired her to create um, that online platform. Um, And she also received her DNP from Kent State University, MSN from Case Western Reserve University and a BA in psychology from Washington University in St. Louis. Did I miss anything? No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. That's awesome. So I'm super excited. Claire, how are you? How are you feeling today?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. It's, it's hot here. I'm, I'm out of Columbus, Ohio, and it's it's a hot summer day today, but I'm happy to be here. Okay. What's hot in, in Columbus? Um, like high 80s and just humid. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess you're in Tampa. So okay. maybe.
0: I won't tell you how hot it is here,
1: <laughs> but, um,
0: high 80s sounds actually really nice. It's oh like man. 90s. To be honest, I haven't spent much time outside today. Typically. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 95 or feels yeah. like 95. Could not do that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So you've got some really cool projects going. Um, th- the biggest, I, I think the one that stands out is the online educational courses. So we're we're going to get into that later, but let's kind of talk about what is a psychiatric nurse practitioner? I think that's probably the first question I asked when we had our phone call. Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know what this is. I know what a nurse practitioner is, but I had no clue that there was a career called psychiatric nurse
1: practitioner. Cause, so kind of give us the rundown for that. Yeah, so I get this question a lot from patients and friends and family still. Um, But so a nurse practitioner person can first become a nurse, a registered nurse, and then go on to get a master's degree to become a nurse practitioner. And when you're going on to become a nurse practitioner, you, you sort of have to choose which path you want to go in, which specialty. And so you can choose family, you can choose pediatrics or adult gerontology or mental health psychiatry. And so I chose the psych mental health nurse practitioner track, the PMHNP, And so that kind of leads you to just treat patients for their mental health needs. And so it's a a master's or you continue on and get your doctorate degree. And that's a a path that just focuses on the mental health part of things. And so it's an advanced practiced registered nurse who's able to treat and prescribe and and diagnose various uh, conditions. Wow. Doing
0: all the things, so that so go back to if you can go back to the acronym that you use. I think yeah. you said PMHNP. NP,
1: yes. I feel like it's it's way too much. Um, <laughs> it's it's only that because a PNP is a pediatric nurse practitioner, and so oh. a PMH is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and it's just a fancy word for someone who who's a nurse who has advanced knowledge who can treat and prescribe medications to treat mental health conditions.
0: I see. I see. So what, how did you get on this path? Like what inspired you to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I never set out to be a nurse practitioner or work in mental health or really the healthcare field. Um, I sort of kind of stumbled into it. Um, I've always been interested in the mind and kind of, beginning in college, the mind was just always something that is very complicated and mysterious and powerful. And I've always found it really interesting that something that we still truly don't know a whole ton about can be so impactful in terms of what we do, what we think, what we achieve. And I just find that really interesting. Um, And so kind of my curiosity in the mind led me to kind of consider a field in psychology. And that led me into into research for a little bit in college um, during my summer uh, internships in school i was i was um, a research assistant in the school's department of psychology and during those summers it was interesting but I just didn't have a lot of interactions with the research subjects I was working with it was just kind of in the behind scenes and I was more interested getting to talk to people and kind of hear about um, what they're thinking and feeling and so that kind of nudged me in the direction of of moving into a field where I had more human interaction and actually a conversation with my brother who's Funnily enough, a child psychiatrist. He kind of introduced me to the, the field of healthcare, and I kind of um, stumbled into nursing. And within nursing, I could have gone through any any path. I could have, um, you know, been like a cardiac, you know, nurse or work on, a, you know, a different type of unit. But I just felt drawn to talking to patients and getting to know them better and their histories and stories. And so that led me into mental health nursing. And then from there, I wanted to help on a larger scale be more involved in the treatment of patients, and so that led me to continue on in school to get my master's, to become a psych NP, and because I love school so much, I went on further to get my doctorate, and so um yeah, just kind of stumbled, I, I was just following my interests, finding what was interesting to me and always kind of following that, and so it was really not a set path, it was just kind of what am I interested in, what feels authentic to me, and that kind of led me into what I currently do, which is as a psych NP. So
0: it sounds like you kind of followed your heart and kind of landed in a, in a space where you wanted to be, but didn't quite know like the destination.
1: Yes. Yes. I think when I started, I had no idea what a nurse practitioner was or a psych NP was. This was back in, you know, 2012, 2013. And, um, I think it's still something that a lot of people don't know, you know, the role of a psych NP. And so it was certainly something that I was just following my, my interests and passions and it led me to where I am.
0: Very cool. So for somebody that's listening or just, I'm just also curious, how yeah. can you break down from, you know, college on how much education did you need to become a psych NP?
1: Sure. I, I can I can share my experience first and then what you actually need because I took a little bit of a longer path. Um, so I, I have a bachelor's degree, a four-year degree in psychology because when I was in college, I didn't know that I wanted to be an, a nurse. And, and so I finished a four-year bachelor's degree. And then from there, I did a, a two-year, what's called like a direct entry bridge program. And so it kind of takes you from a, a bachelor's degree and a different specialty over into a bachelor's degree of nursing. And so it's kind of a two-year bridge program that takes you, um, by the end of it, you, you become a nurse, a registered nurse. And so four years of undergrad, two years to become a registered nurse, and then two years after that to get my master's to become a psych nurse practitioner. And then two years after that to, to have my doctorate. And um, so I guess total that's, that's eight years. But um, if someone wants to do it from college, if, if you're um, in college and this is the path that you want to take, you would get a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, uh, a BSN in Nursing. Um, and then two years after that to get your master's to become a nurse practitioner. And so ah. six years would be the fastest.
0: Okay. So there's lots of different tracks to kind of get to this destination 100%. a hundred psych- percent
1: yeah okay. some people do it a lot later in life after being you know a registered nurse for 20 years um yes there's many different avenues to kind of kind of landing in this place which is okay be-
0: and so since you've become um a psychiatric nurse practitioner and even maybe before like you got the official title what are some of the areas or different demographics that you've worked with
1: Yeah. So I started out in community mental health. That's kind of where my heart is, is working in the community mental health setting, Um, kind of working with more underserved populations. Um, And in that area, it's kind of neat because you're seeing all kinds of mental health conditions. You're seeing not just depression and anxiety, but bipolar and psychosis, a lot of trauma and addiction. Um, And so I spent a couple years in that setting. I've also worked um, with addictions um, in what's called a Um, A partial hospitalization program so it's it's someone who's struggling with maybe alcohol use disorder or opiate use disorder they go to to what's called day treatment five days a week and they they go to groups to learn about their addiction and they also uh, receive medications mental health medications and or medications for their addiction and so that's another setting I've worked in and more recently I um, had the opportunity to be a, a travel nurse practitioner and I worked with an American Indian population at a tribal clinic funded through the Indian Health Services. And that was really neat because I got to work with a completely different patient population I never had experience with before. That's really historically underserved. And I was treating both addiction and mental health in that setting. And that was a really unique, um yeah, really unique experience. That was very heart heartwarming and I was experiencing burnout before. And so it was really nice to kind of feel rejuvenated in the work I do.
0: Yeah, it's really nice that it sounds like you've had a variety of experiences within this particular field. So, I think sometimes uh, and maybe not just specifically for mental health professionals but just people in general that kind of get I don't want to say get stuck, but sometimes people get complacent. I don't know if that's the right word either, mm-hmm. but um, people are just in one particular environment and I think that there's so there's much to be learned to, you know, when you go from when you're tr- going in different environments and being around different people that maybe you're not used to being around, or maybe you've never been around before, um, and just providing education, but also you give, getting a chance to learn about that particular demographic. So Yeah, 100%.
1: That was, what, that was what I was able to take away from my working with the American Indian pop- population. If I worked at a different tribal clinic, I'm sure I'd have a completely different experience also. Um, And what's cool about working in mental health is there's so many different avenues. You can work inpatient in the hospital setting, outpatient. You can work in the prison population with eating disorders, with children, with older adults. There's just so many, so many branching points that you can take when you're wanting to experience a different type of setting, patient population.
0: And so as far as being a nurse practitioner, I know you also said that you're a travel, that you were a traveling nurse. Are you still traveling or is it something that you did prior?
1: I'm not right now, but I have done it in the past. I've, I've been to a couple of different states and that's been really neat just to kind of see what mental health care looks like in other states. Um, and, and so it's not something I'm doing right now, but it's a it's great way to kind of learn about different people, different settings, work with different, different people in different uh, organizations.
0: Is there, is there one particular moment or maybe um, one particular situation that has happened in in your past kind of working history that has made you say, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, this is my calling and Mm. just kind of something that affirmed the fact that you chose this, this path.
1: Yeah. Um, There are several different types of examples. I want to first preface by saying that what makes my job a little bit tough at times is that you're seeing people at their worst kind of most vulnerable moments and it can be sort of draining at times and you're seeing this back to back all day every day and progress and improvements are really slow um and you want i want to feel helpful to patients and so when you get to see those moments of progress or improvement or success that feels incredible um and so i think what comes to mind is most recently i had a patient who had never sought treatment for his addiction before had had not really had many days of sobriety he could string together as long as period of sobriety was maybe um, maybe less than a week and him coming into treatment um, I've been working with him for a couple weeks and during that time that was the longest period of sobriety in his life and he was just feeling a lot a lot better he never knew that he could feel um, or be sober and I mean I, I he kept being appreciative, but really it was it was him that was doing it and him coming in and trusting a healthcare provider to provide assistance and, and help while he did all the hard work. It was just really nice and cool to witness that. And so I would say those moments where you get to see patients feel better and you get to kind of witness small moments of that, it feels really cool. And it makes those challenging moments of my job so much better. It's very energizing.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's got to be like heartwarming mm-hmm. to just have that interaction and have that person be able to have this new accomplishment, but also to be a part of their journey. Um, I know that you've given credit to him, but I think it's really awesome that um, that you're able to be in that space and able to, you know, kind of provide that environment for healing. And, you know, I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah. It's, it's definitely a collaboration. I, I believe probably in all areas of healthcare, but in mental health, especially it's really tough. It's first stigmatized, but just really tough to talk about things you don't typically talk about to be very vulnerable. And so the fact that a person is is answering questions and sharing things about themselves that they've never really explored before is something that is um, not to be taken lightly. And um, it's really neat to kind of be a part of those moments when, when people are doing a bit better.
0: So just to, let's let's kind of like go to the the flip side, I guess, of the spectrum. Um, since you've become a psych NP, what has been one of the most challenging parts of being in this role?
1: Yeah. Um I think I sort of said it, but I it's it's mental health is very gray. Um unlike other areas of healthcare where maybe you come in and you have some sort of um, infection and a prescriber can run some blood work, run some tests and give you your antibiotics and send you on your way and you get better. Um, in mental health, there's a lot of gray to it and there's not very clear cut and dry. This is what's going on. Here's what we prescribe. We send you on your way and you're better. Um, and so I think it's a little bit tricky at times because humans are more complex than, okay, you have depression. Let me give you your, this Prozac or fluoxetine. You go away, you come back, and you're better. Oftentimes, a person's depression is related to many factors. Maybe there's other underlying beliefs or cognitions that are getting in their way also, not just the medications, or they're struggling with relationships or their job at the same time or homelessness or addiction. And so there's many layers that make it really tough to treat. And so um, I think the grayness and the complexity can be a little bit challenging at times. And then just, again, you're seeing people who are having a really hard time. And so... Um seeing people at their worst all day, every day can be difficult. And as a provider who wants to be helpful, it can be hard to take only small wins or no wins at all for maybe days at a time. That can be a bit tough.
0: So I'm I'm hopping ahead on my on my list right now, but I know that I I definitely hear you when you say it can be tough and it can be it can be draining to constantly be kind of like taking on this people's people's worst times in their lives for, for some people. Um, How do you cope or how do you like watch after your own mental health? Can you give me like maybe two or three things that you do um, to, to look after yourself?
1: I love that question. Um, And I think it's so important. This is for everybody, but as a provider, who's helping other people, you need to be in a place where you're feeling um, yeah mentally well because people feel that energy and um, it's it's just really important to be in a space mentally and physically where you feel good to help other people and so for me I engage in meditation there's a meditation I, I do every day it's 20 minutes it's called transcendental meditation and it's something that I um, you work with someone and you get you get uh, they teach you how, how to do it. And then you go off on your own and it's something that's a lifetime practice. But I, I do that. It's supposed to be 20 minutes twice a day, but I'm only able to do it once a day. And so I do that every morning. Um, I like to keep physically active. And so I work out five days a week. Um, and I, I myself, I I have a therapist who I see and, and I, I wish therapy was something that was just something that everybody did even if you're feeling great because there's always things that we can work on and get better at and maybe uncover things that are getting in our way of fulfilling our potential even higher or feeling better day to day. And so I see a therapist regularly also, and I think it also helps me, you know, being a patient is also really helpful on a regular basis. It kind of keeps me from being too distant from my patients because I'm one also, and I can, I can relate. I think it makes me more empathetic and collaborative. And so, um, yeah, those are some of the things that I do to kind of maintain my mental wellness and they're up and down days. It's not that, you know, everything's incredible with me, but yeah, uh, yeah those are the things that I do.
0: Um, so, that... so for this meditation, so did you, I'm just curious, like did you um, like work with like a meditation coach or did you go on YouTube and like watch something? Like how did you get yeah. into transcendental meditation?
1: Yeah. So I, I started, so I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a self help, um, junkie. Um, so I, I love like self-improvement. I love working on mindset. And so I started with Headspace, the app uh, during the pandemic, and it was free to healthcare providers. I don't know if it still is, but I started with that. And it's this daily um, meditation app that starts with like a, or if you've heard of it, it starts with like a prompt of the day. Maybe it's about like anxiety or uh, reducing stress. And there's a little kind of dialogue at the beginning for a couple minutes, and then it guides you through a meditation for a couple minutes from two to three up to 10 minutes a day. I was doing that for a couple months. Um, and it was helpful, but I, I wanted kind of something something more. Um, and so I was just kind of Googling things, and I learned about transcendental meditation. And it's something that you can just, it's tm.org. Um, you can find a coach in your area, and you, you pay kind of a fee based on how much you make annually. And it's kind of a, a one-time fee that you pay, and you learn how to... Um, how to practice it. it. What's cool about it is it, it's not a lot of, it's not work, I think when people think of meditation, it's just kind of sitting quietly and focusing on breath and it feels really difficult. And what's what's neat about this is um, it isn't difficult and uh, it feels good when you're done, you, you feel a little better. And so I'm not doing it justice by describing it, I'm not a rep for it, but um, <laughs> that's something that I've been doing for about a year now that, um, yeah, that's been helpful for sure. Okay.
0: Uh, I'm gonna have to get that uh, that website from you at the end because yep. I would love to explore. I'm really terrible. I, I don't want to say I'm terrible at meditation, but I feel like I don't feel great about meditation. Like the only meditation yep. I can really feel, the only time I feel meditation works for me is when I do like a guided meditation mm-hmm. on YouTube to mm-hmm. go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I always mm-hmm. feel like if I don't remember the end of the meditation, it worked because. I was able to relax and get to sleep. If I get to the end of the video and then I hear <laughs> commercials going, I <laughs> I feel like I failed the meditation. It didn't no. work. Now I got to get up and like search through YouTube to find a different guided meditation. So I'm, I'm really curious about transcendental meditation. I've never heard yeah. of it um, at this point. You know, I'm open to anything.
1: And I think what's cool is that there's not like there's not one set thing for meditation. Meditation can look very different for some people. It's walking in the park and just listening to kind of nature, or listening to music, or just you know on a on their drive listening to nothing and just their thoughts. There's not one way, but um, it's certainly something that's been helpful for me.
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give this another try. This is not the. I feel like this is a sign. It comes up every every so often on episodes. I'm like, mm, should I really give this a try? Maybe maybe I will. So. Um, I know you also mentioned uh, that you stay physically active and and is that something that you've always done like throughout life or is that something that's relatively new maybe like during school where you started being more active to yeah. help your mental health?
1: Yeah uh, I would say it started in, in high school I, I ran cross-country and track in high school and then again in, in college um, uh, it's funny because I was a runner and then I, I really dropped off running after college and haven't really run as much anymore and so I actually I do YouTube videos and I, I follow like yoga things or high intensity interval training and I do that um sometimes I'll go to like a yoga studio to be around other people also but um pretty consistently just over YouTube over the past few years it just feels good to to move because I sit all day every day in front of a computer often Same. and so it's nice to, to move and stretch I think we need that as humans
0: Yes, we do. Like I feel like that should be a prescription. Like can we make prescriptions Ooh. to move a little bit?
1: I have like a, I have I have a gag um prescription pad that I that I have that I, I write orders for that. Napping, vacations, sleep.
0: Um, I like that. <laughs> I feel like everybody should have that. All the MPs, all the doctors should be giving out these <laughs> these 100%. separate prescriptions. So speaking of prescriptions, like Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned earlier as an, as a psychiatric nurse practitioner, you are able to give out prescriptions. Um, is that like the whole range of prescriptions? Is that only prescriptions for mental health? Like if I come to you Mm. and like I've got asthma and let's just say hypothetically that there are mental, uh, I don't know, an SSRI or some type of medication that I would need as well. Can I get them both filled through you or are you only filling out, filling mental health?
1: That's a great question. Um, No, so as a psych nurse practitioner, I went to school just to learn about mental health medications. So like for depression, anxiety, bipolar, psychosis, and that's sort of outside of my scope. There are some gray areas where there's a medication like for um, anxiety called Inderol. Um, it's, it's a blood pressure medication, but it's used for anxiety, for performance anxiety. And so I I prescribe medications that kind of cross over, but if you have asthma or blood pressure issues or, um, you know, diabetes, you would see a family nurse practitioner or your family care provider for that. My lane is, is kind of, um, mental health. Same with psychiatrists, although psychiatrists have a little bit more, um, freedom of scope of prescribing. And so they, they they could and are trained to prescribe, you know, those other medications too, but generally you want to stay within your your field of what you went to school for. And so for us, that's prescribing mental health medications. And so you'd see another provider for those other ones. Okay. And
0: I know you mentioned um, kind of like the differences between, a, a little bit of the differences between like a psychiatrist, there's a lot of, so sometimes even for me, it's a little overwhelming for all of the different roles that are in this huge, I should make a pie chart one day, (laughs) a huge pie chart of like all these mental health providers and people that can support your mental health. Um, What is the major difference between a psych NP and a psychiatrist?
1: That's a great question. So the main difference is the education and the scope of practice. So, a psychiatrist, and then that's the main difference, but it's, as far as like day-to-day, what you're doing is about the same. We both diagnose medica- we both diagnose mental health conditions and prescribe medications, but uh, a psychiatrist has a bit more flexibility and freedom in terms of what they can do, and so uh, a psychiatrist can have what's called admitting privileges, and so they can admit a patient into the hospital or they can... Um, in some states, it's called pink slipping, where a patient, a person is unsafe causing harm to themselves or others. They need to be taken to the hospital but aren't going willingly or voluntarily, and so they they are involuntarily hospitalized. A psychiatrist can do that, but it also depends on states. Some states, a nurse practitioner can do that. They have full scope of practice, and so there's becoming even more overlap between what a nurse practitioner and a psychiatrist can do as time goes on because more states are are granting nurse practitioners full scope of practice authority, and, and that's because studies are showing, research is showing that outcomes are similar between physicians and nurse practitioners in terms of um, quality of care, patient outcomes, you know, hospitalizations, things like that. And so it's it's becoming more more gray. But I would say the biggest difference is between is is the educational pathway the, you know medical school and residency versus nursing school and your master's degree. Um, And then the scope of practice, as far as what you can do, those are kind of the biggest differences.
0: Okay. And as far as like who you um, like the medical team that you work with, do you work like as a psychiatric nurse practitioner, do you work with um, a psychiatrist? Like, are you assigned somebody? Are you pretty much, um, do you have a lot of autonomy doing what you do? Um, Or are you kind of, cause I, cause I feel like I've seen NPs before and I feel like they're very much tied to a specific
1: provider, like a specific doctor. Yeah. Um, how does that work for you? Um, so that depends on state also. There's there's this map I can share that shows like the scope of practice of nurse practitioners and green shows there's full scope of practice. That means that you don't need to work with a physician alongside you. You you see your patients, you don't interact with one at all. Red is is very restrictive. Certain states you need to work with a, f- a physician closely to treat patients. And then some states are yellow, like like here in Ohio where I am, I need to have what's called a collaborating physician or collaborating psychiatrist, and that's basically someone who I meet with twice a year at least, according to my collaborative agreement. And they review my my caseload, they look at how my how I'm prescribing, they give feedback. But otherwise, in my day to day, I'm not interacting with them at all. Oftentimes, they're not on site; they might not even be at the organization. Um, and so, so it's primarily autonomous. Um, my day to day is. Is kind of the team around me. I could not exist without is my nurse or a medical assistant. Um, they're kind of, kind of keeping me on track by getting vitals and blood pressure for my patients, tracking down um, lab work, returning patient calls, giving injections providing education to my patients, and then I also work with therapists. Also, if I have patients who are also seeing a therapist and a release of information has been signed by the patient, I'm able to talk to the therapist to make sure that we're on the same page and patients are progressing. And then my receptionist who schedules patients for follow-up. And so my team is is kind of those individuals. And then if there's a complex, patient who I need to consult with another provider that might be another nurse practitioner, or it might be my collaborating psychiatrist. But um, generally day to day in my state, I I don't really interact with, with mine. It's a couple times a year with questions and then the required um, twice a year to kind of review caseload.
0: Okay. So that's very, that's really, really helpful to know. So let's just say hypothetically, I'm looking for a Let's say I'm looking for some, actually, let me, I'm asking a question and I feel like I've got to ask a different question to get there. So let's say I, am, when should I look for a psych NP? I guess that's the question mm-hmm. I'm trying to
1: ask. <laughs> that's a great question. Um I want to first say that maybe it's more so when to seek a mental health provider, because in that you could see a therapist, you could see a psychiatrist, you could see a psych NP. And some people are more comfortable with seeing a physician. It's been, The role of a physician has been around a lot longer than that of a nurse practitioner. So I, I definitely have patients who are like, I don't know who you are. I don't understand your role. I want to see a psychiatrist instead. That's totally okay. Patients are going to be getting the same quality of care anyway. I want you to go with who you're comfortable with. Um, and then a therapist isn't prescribing medications. A, 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 psychi- um, a psychologist or a therapist, they're not prescribing medications. And so it really depends on the patient. Are they wanting... Help with their their mindset and they want they're they're not wanting medications, or are they wanting, you know, med management and maybe therapy too? So those are kind of the, the two camps to think about, rather than a psych NP in particular. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's it's really whether you want to to go the medication route or kind of the, the talk therapy route. And oftentimes those two can can overlap. Um, so if yeah.
0: let's say I have a, a therapist, right. Mm-hmm. And at some point my therapist, or maybe I say, Hey, can I look at doing something that's going to kind of complement what we're doing mm-hmm. sitting like on the couch? I'm using air quotes. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not always on a couch. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm looking for somebody that is uh, going to be able to compliment what my therapist is doing by providing me with support via medication And I go into Google, I go into Google, I go to like psychology today, something like that. And I look up providers in my area and I see um, psychiatrists and I see nurse practitioners or I see the acronyms PMH, (laughs) NP for everybody listening, write those those letters down. Um, If I see those, I can choose one or the other. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I have to choose a psychiatrist because the the type of care is pretty much the same. Is that correct?
1: Correct. According to, and this is where it gets a little bit heated and maybe contentious among like maybe physicians and nurse practitioners, but studies, randomized controlled trials, other studies, systematic reviews show that outcomes are similar between the two. I truly think probably with any person that you're seeing, mental health in particular, that it's really about what the rapport is like with the person, because in mental health, you're sharing all kinds of things. And we can go into what to expect when you're going to see a provider, but you're asking all kinds, you're being asked all kinds of very personal, intimate questions. You want to have a trusting, collaborative relationship with whoever you're choosing, whether it's a psychiatrist or nurse practitioner, it's more about the person rather than the title, I would say, because there's a lot of trust that's required to be had in order to progress. Because if if you come and see me as a psych and pee, you don't feel comfortable. You don't trust me. You're not going to share as much with me. And then I'm not going to be able to understand what your particular diagnosis is, which means I'm not going to be able to choose the right medication for you because it's all based on getting that diagnosis. Right. And so mm. it's about that relationship. It's all, Cause I, my tool is, is our, our communication, our language. There are labs that can order to make sure that your liver and kidney are doing well. When I prescribe the medication I prescribe, but it's, that, that trust and that rapport that we have that allows us to kind of track to see how we're how we're doing that's kind of my main tool is, is language and communication
0: That's really great to hear and I think I hope that um, I hope that anybody that is listening that has seen that maybe they've looked for providers and they've seen a psych NP come up and they didn't, weren't quite sure of like what does this person do what is their role is it the same can i get the same type of care am i able to get medication from there my hope that this i think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people and i love the fact that you tapped into it being about trust and that kind of being the cornerstone of choosing the right mental health provider um i think sometimes i don't want to say we're in a rush to choose somebody but um as you know being both a patient and a provider sometimes i feel like you get into those situations where you just need to talk to somebody and i think that it's really great to hear that the the when when somebody comes to see you they can expect that initial trust to be built um first off and i think mm-hmm. i just think that's really important because i think there's all there's there is a misconception <clears throat> excuse me I think there's a misconception and there's like these preconceived notions that people hold and I've held them myself like prior to talking to lots of different mental health professionals uh, about medication. And I think I still hold like certain views on medication, but I think it's really helpful to hear somebody that does what you do say that it is about trust and it is about us being able to communicate and you being able to trust me to tell me what's actually going on with you Um, And to be honest about it, to make sure like you're getting the care that you need.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, also like I'm not owed any information. Like I can ask you a question. You don't have to respond or answer questions that you're not comfortable asking. And, you know, it's, it's okay. Also, I want to say, if you want to see another provider, like you maybe see a psychiatrist or a psych NP or therapist, and you don't like them for whatever reason, you don't have to see them. It doesn't, me necessarily to write it off altogether. This is not for me. It's maybe more so, Hey, this provider is not for me. Let me go see another provider or a different organization or within that same organization.
0: Right. So the person, not necessarily the role Mm -hmm. that may not be a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, I I like that. I think that that's really good to know. So getting into like some of the technical parts of it, if somebody, Mm -hmm. let's say they, they are looking in the area, they find a psych NP, um, do they need, can they use their insurance to help pay for it? Is that possible?
1: Uh, yes. It, 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 that's more so clinic dependent. So like whatever practice that they're going to, if they take your type of insurance, that's the first thing when you call and schedule an appointment, you generally don't need a referral. Like if you're going to see a cardiologist or a neurologist or something, you generally need a referral from your primary care provider. Oftentimes in mental health care, there might be a long wait line, you know, a long wait. Um, but you, you don't need a referral. But it, they're going to ask you when, when you call, you know, what type of insurance you have. And they want to make sure that you fit so that you're not necessarily paying out of pocket for that appointment.
0: Okay. Is traditionally do and uh, psych NPs, they traditionally take insurance because I know so, with some therapists, they do not take insurance. And it is um, like, it is kind of, I don't know if you'd say out of
1: network. Uh, like self pay?
0: Self pay, yeah. Self pay.
1: Okay. Um well it depends if it's a, if it's a private practice or if you're going to like an outpatient clinic. Sometimes they are private practice providers, therapists or psychiatrists or NPs. I, I owned a private practice for a period of time and I I initially started out taking insurance, then I switched to self pay. But it, it depends on the practice and the provider. It's not that therapists okay. only do self pay. There are many therapists who accept insurance also and it it, it very much varies as just standard primary care uh it varies um whether insurance is accepted or not
0: okay that's that's good to know thank Mm -hmm. you yeah yeah (laughs) so i know earlier you mentioned that uh somebody could potentially come in and like let's say i come into you and i i'm at the point where you feel like i need to be maybe seeking some type of other type of care where it's overnight, maybe like a psych ward. I don't know the right words for that, but (laughs) let's yes. yes, maybe I need to like move up to the next level of care. Is that, I know you mentioned that there, that may not be a call. I don't know if, can you make that call as a psych NP for me to be able to get the additional help or do I need another step?
1: Yeah no so I, I guess in this example are you sitting in my office and you're needing to be hospitalized yes for like harm to yourself or others yes okay so that for that it depends on what state that you're in um, yeah. but it wouldn't that that's kind of in the background you, if you were seeing me and I practice where I do I would um, write out what's called a pink slip where we are and. If, it depends on whether you're going voluntarily or not. If 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 we decide in your in my office that you are not able to keep yourself safe, that you feel like you need to go into the hospital, then you would be transported to the hospital, and there would be no other steps involved. If you were involuntarily, um, if you were not wanting to go but you couldn't keep yourself safe or you were harmful to others, maybe I have patients who who are struggling with schizophrenia, who are having auditory hallucinations to harm themselves or others, they're unwilling to go into the hospital, I would have to fill out what's called a pink slip and they would be, the police would come and they would take that person to the hospital. And so there's, no, there's nothing extra um, okay. that you would need to do. That's on our clinic end. And if, depending on the state for nurse practitioner, if they're not able to authorize that by they, what they fill out, the psychiatrist on site would sign off on that and they would go into the hospital but it's nothing you wouldn't need to go anywhere else to get that kind of assistance
0: okay yeah that was i was just curious about that i know excuse me i know you mentioned pink slipping earlier and i was just curious about like how are there extra steps but it sounds like if if something's going wrong if further care is needed and i come to you or a family member comes to you then you can make that call whether it be voluntary involuntary you can help them Move on to the next step. Yeah, and
1: one hundred percent voluntary is so much better, and always because care should be collaborative. And so that's really a last resort of forcing someone because you are taking away their rights, and especially and well, in general, we don't want to be limiting, restricting someone's rights unless it's one hundred percent necessary, right? Being harm to self or others. So if that's not the case, and they're not harming themselves or others, and I am recommending that you do something, you don't want to do it. You don't. You don't have to do that. Um, yeah, that's that's your right. Okay, that's
0: good to know. She's clearing up all the gray area that I had around <laughs> around this. There's a lot.
1: <laughs> there, there's a lot of gray area.
0: Yeah. So get back to this my hypothetical appointment with mm-hmm. you, right? So I've come in, I give them my insurance card. We've hit that step, and now they've called me to the back. What do I expect first? Like I know you mentioned, like your blood pressure, blood pressure, and your vitals and stuff get taken,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: after that, like when I get into the room with you, what does that like initial conversation or assessment look like?
1: Yeah, great question. So I, I would first say just kind of before your visit to expect that this is going to be kind of extensive, that this it's called an initial psychiatric evaluation. This is gathering information for me to figure out what your diagnosis is. And it's not kind of a quick, you say a couple words and it's like, oh, you have bipolar disorder. Here's your medications. It's a bit more thorough than that. Um, so you want to Know that it's going to be about an hour, if you're an adult, about an hour and a half, if you're a child with the parent also kind of doing this assessment. Um, And that there's also a lot of parameters around your privacy um, in mental health, and and then even more so in addiction. There are certain rules that we follow to maintain your privacy because there is so much stigma and discrimination against those with addiction in particular. And so you're going to be signing off some release forms, if, if you're if your family member or partner calls and you didn't sign a release of information I wouldn't be able to share or disclose information to them about it there's just a lot of privacy so you're signing forms um, during the initial appointment before you you know come back and see me uh, I would also say to bring a list of medications that you're currently taking oftentimes people are taking several and, and don't remember what they're taking what what dose they're taking and so, Knowing that or bringing in a list of medications is great, but when you come back, you'll be brought back by a nurse or medical assistant. They'll grab your blood pressure. Um, and then for the initial appointment, um, you that, that lasts about an hour, I'd say. And I can kind of just go through a list of questions of, of kind of what you'd be asked. It, it kind of starts out quite broadly of just tell me what's bringing you in today, Um and so that's kind of where you talk about what has been troubling you. Maybe maybe it wasn't you; it was a partner that thought you should come in, or maybe there's some sort of trauma, or you're having trouble sleeping, or you know, anxiety. You've been feeling depressed for a while, and and then there's questions about when the issue started, what what symptoms you're experiencing, what makes it better or worse, and then questions about mood. So these are called just basic screening questions. And so asking about depression or bipolar, questions about anxiety, psychosis, and trauma. You might have come in for sleep issues, but I'm asking you about psychosis. That's just because I'm, I'm screening for it. I'm, I'm, I'm checking. So sometimes people get surprised when they're asked about thoughts of harming themselves or others or self-injurious behavior, like cutting or burning themselves. Those are just screening questions to make sure that we're covering all the bases. Um, recent stressors, past mental health history, any psychiatric hospitalizations or suicide attempts. Um, medical history, so bringing in a list of your current medications and allergies. Um, Substance use history, current or past substance use. Um, oftentimes people can be kind of a little bit thrown off by this question and there's no sort of, you know, judgment or prosecution. Um, if you're using opiates or cocaine or something, this is just, if you're using, let's say, methamphetamine and you're coming in with anxiety, I need to know that because that could be contributing to your issues with anxiety or it could be making it worse. And so sharing that information is, is super helpful. And I say that up front that, you know, there's no, judgment, it just helps me help you if you can be as honest as possible. And so there'll be questions about substance use, family history about mental health and physical health and substance use, because some things are hereditary, Hereditary, and then social history about your upbringing and um, employment status, living situation, legal history. Those are kind of the questions that that kind of are the basis of a initial psychiatric evaluation. So it's, it's quite extensive, but it gives a good sense of what's going on. And it's important to be finding this out because... Um, you want to make sure you get the diagnosis right because the medications are truly based on what the correct diagnosis is. And if you don't have the diagnosis right, um, and you're not going through these questions and getting good answers and feedback, or getting collateral information from family members, if necessary, then you're kind of veering off onto a different track. We don't just treat, I like to say, we don't just treat symptoms, um, we treat the diagnosis. So sometimes you'll see a patient come in and they're on all kinds of medications, one for sleep, one for anxiety, one for one for mood, um, just a whole bunch of medications. And it's like, well, we're, we're, we're prescribing based on symptoms, not on conditions. Let's figure out what the diagnosis is and let the symptoms show us how we're doing. And, and that's kind of how we track how we're doing. We're prescribing based on the diagnosis, not just on symptoms, because then you're on 10 different medications. And that, that doesn't go so well. We have a lot of side effects. We have issues. That's sloppy prescribing.
0: Okay. I see. And you mentioned collaboration with family members. Um, What is, how does that work? Like, is this somebody that would need to join the appointment physically? Um, Is this part of that release form where maybe this person says that you're able to contact and like ask additional questions um, based on that permission that they've given?
1: It can be either. Um, First and foremost, if you're an adult, it has to be your permissions. You'd have to sign. They either come with you. Sometimes people are nervous, and so they bring someone else into the session with them, and they're okay with them staying throughout the session. And so they're providing it just face-to-face. Or maybe after the appointment, you know, you say that you think that your partner could speak a little bit more to this. Um, You would sign a release of information. Then I'd be able to call them and, and ask a few other questions to get more clarity, or you sign a release to talk to a primary care provider or another specialist provider to get more information, if that's helpful, but um, like I said, mental health is, is very um, protected. Your privacy is protected, and so it's very much based on what you're um, willing to allow to be disclosed. Uh, it's a little bit different with, with children, With children, you know, you're not the legal guardian, and so talking to parents is something that is, they're generally there at that first and follow up appointments also. So that's a little bit different.
0: Okay. Right. Very interesting. Um, I I didn't know that that was a thing. So that's, I guess it's good to know for anybody that is, that wants to bring somebody in or wants to have that support, even if they're not in the office, that is something that's available for them.
1: Yeah, 100%. And same on the opposite spectrum. If you want no one to know that you're receiving mental health treatment at all, same, same thing. It doesn't need to be something that is shared with anybody at all. And that can work just, I, that happens all the time. Okay. So
0: let's talk about adjunct therapy. What the heck is adjunct therapy?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I would say it's like adjunct treatment because some people go in and they just want to receive medications. They don't want to talk. They just want the medication that will help them feel better and move on. Um, other people just want the therapy. They're they're not wanting to dip into medications, worried about side effects, um, and so they just want the therapy. Um, so adjunct is just means add on, and it can be add on therapy or add on medication. And oftentimes, patients, people can receive both um, both medications and therapy. Um, And so a person, maybe say they come in for depression and and I see them and my role as a psych nurse practitioner, I primarily am used for medication management services. I I do, I I am certified personally to do therapy, but oftentimes like nurse practitioners mostly just prescribe. Um, And so a person comes in, they're struggling with depression. I prescribe, let's say medication like, like Zoloft or Lexapro and they're getting a little better, but still having a hard time. I might make a recommendation that they see a therapist also kind of an adjunct or add on their treatment. And so they have therapy as well. And maybe I recommend that they do cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of work on some dysfunctional core beliefs that are getting in the way because it's not just medications. I'm actually, it's funny I prescribe medications because I'm a strong advocate for therapy. And I feel like therapy is a great um, a great tool to have, but um, often both together work very well. But um, Yes, adjunct therapy is just a way to um, or adjunct treatment is just a way to add to the treatment modalities that are currently there in a way to further improve uh, treatment
0: so if somebody comes in and they um, maybe they're in a situation or based on you know what they've said that you you suggest therapy in addition to the medication that you're going to be prescribing do you have any like communication with their therapist or, are you only communicating with the patient?
1: That's a great question. Uh, it depends on them. Again, this is all about privacy, and so if uh, I recommend ther- a therapist and they go out and find one, and then they don't want me to speak to them, they don't sign the release of information, then I then I can't. And it's not it's not required. I think it's just more it's it's better and higher quality, more collaborative to be working together to be to to kind of be able to collaborate as needed if needed, and so. Um yes, that communication would only happen if the patient signs the release of information saying it's okay for us to talk to each other.
0: Wow. That's that makes sense. I again I did not know that was even an option. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I that you've like done an amazing job answering all of my psychiatric nurse practitioner questions. So I'm going to give you a little break and we are going to hop over to our mind game segment of the podcast. So this is something new. I don't know. I think I've probably been doing it uh, since the beginning of this year, maybe-ish. Um, but basically this segment is where I ask our audience, um, well, I describe a particular mental health disorder. And the audience that's listening, all of the listeners, you guys can guess. If you're on Spotify, you can um, put your guess directly into the little question that's uh, at the bottom of the episode, or should be there. Um, but this is just a chance to give some give people uh, a chance to learn about a new disorder. So, Claire, you can't help them. You're probably going to know what it is. <laughs> so okay. just make sure you don't blurt it out. Um, Got it. Okay. I'll read through the description. We're going to give everybody a couple seconds, uh, about a minute or so to guess. Um, And then I'll actually like say what it is. And yeah, we'll just go from there. That sounds great. All right. So for today's mind games segment, uh, this disorder, this disorder uh, involves experiencing a disconnection and a lack of continuity between thoughts memories, surroundings, actions, and identity. People with this disorder escape reality in ways that are involuntary and unhealthy and cause problems with functioning in everyday life. Um, This particular disorder is usually developed as a reaction to trauma and uh, helps keep difficult memories at bay. Uh, So the symptoms, there's a lot of symptoms. The symptoms range from memory loss of certain periods of time or events or people or different like personal information. Um, there's also a sense of being detached from yourself and your emotions. Uh, there could be a perception of people and things around you as distorted or unreal. Uh, you can have a blurred sense of identity. Uh, there's significant stress or problems in your relationships, work, or other uh, important areas of your life, uh, possible inability to cope well with emotional or professional stress Uh, mental health problems such as depression anxiety uh, suicidal thoughts and behaviors Um, and the treatment for this particular disorder could include uh, psychotherapy and medication Um, some may be more difficult where people have to kind of learn how to lead a whole new type of life so claire i'm sure you know what this is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but for anybody that's listening, I'll give you a few more, uh, a few more seconds, I'll give you like 20 more seconds to take a guess. Um, if you want to hop into Google um, and cheat, go ahead, <laughs> 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 figure out what this is. But um, while you guys are guessing and ruminating about what the mind games answer is, I do want to just remind everybody that uh, the podcast I keep saying the podcast today. I don't know why I keep saying that. (laughs) Um, We are on uh, Bullhorn. So Bullhorn is a great platform that allows us to live stream episodes. And it also allows us to create a more interactive environment for our episodes. So that means um, there are really cool features for... Episodes that we do live stream, there's call-in features, there's chat features, there's also a really cool question feature where you can actually type out your question and I can put it on the big screen um, for everybody to see. And then the guests, whoever the guest is that day and I, we can kind of talk through those questions there. And the call-in feature, going back to that, you can actually call in on video or over your phone. So, um, again, live stream episodes of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 will be... um, on bullhorn and that's b-u-l-l-h-o-r-n.fm go to bullhorn or download go to bullhorn.fm or download the bullhorn app and that's going to be the bullhorn app with the little orange megaphone um, download that and go ahead and follow black girls have anxiety too you'll be notified every time that we are going live you'll be notified when i schedule a live episode um and yeah i'd love for more listeners to join the conversation and i think it'll be really great for more of our guests to actually meet our listeners and we can get that interaction going all those questions that you have during the episode you can actually uh, ask them live so uh, bullhorn.fm the details are and the link is in the description so click down give us a follow and join us on our next live episode now back to the answer for the mind game segment today's answer is dissociative disorders. Um, so there, there was a long list of symptoms and I didn't realize that there is like three different types of dissociative disorders. So there's like dissociative, dissociative amnesia, dissociative identity disorder, depersonalization slash derealization disorder. Um, Claire, have you ever worked with someone that has dissociative disorder?
1: No, I've had, I've had patients who have aspects of it within other disorders, like, like a lot of trauma disorders, a lot of, um, responses or avoidance to the trauma are to kind of disconnect or dissociate. Um, and so I see that in like post-traumatic stress disorder. Some patients have periods of dissociation, um, or certain aspects of, um, uh, and psychotic disorders, patients. I've had patients who've had dissociative episodes also, but it's not incredibly common that I've come across.
0: Oh, interesting. So people mm-hmm. can basically have aspects of it, but they may not have diso- a dissociative disorder.
1: Uh, generally, it's something like a, like a trauma disorder, like, like post-traumatic stress trauma. disorder, but a dissociative identity disorder, uh, DAD, or what was previously called multiple personality disorder, that's something that's not incredibly common. Um, and I've, I've seen several hundred patients now over the, over the years, and it's likely that just might not have come into my camp of, of patients I've treated. But, um, I would say that the biggest aspect is the symptom of dissociative, um, dissociation. And I see that a lot. I, I've seen that within post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: Interesting. Oh, maybe you can come back and talk about PTSD. I don't think we've had an episode sure. on that.
1: Yeah, um, there's a lot there, and there's actually side note. There's not a, there's not, there's not like an FDA approved medication for post traumatic stress disorder. You don't come in and say I have this, and so it's like ah, oh, let me give you this medication. Um, we treat symptoms, and so often people have intrusive stimuli like nightmares or, or flashbacks, and so we prescribe medications for that. And then therapy is really huge. Going back to adjunctive treatment, therapy is really huge, and. Um, You can do CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, or EMDR, eye movement reprocessing and sensitization. That's a treatment that is um, effective at treating PTSD. But there isn't a medication that you take to treat it. We treat the symptoms that come from PTSD with medications.
0: Mm. EMDR. You mentioned EMDR. That is something that I'm really interested in. So uh, if you're listening and you are an EMDR provider... Hit me up because I'd love to have you on. It's something that has come up. I think this is probably the second time it's come up on a podcast. And I do have a friend that said she's done it before. Um, and she really liked it. But I feel like it's something that's not a lot of people know about. I don't really know much about it outside of like reading on Google. Yeah.
1: What's, what's neat about it is that you're kind of going back to memories. So you're you're working with a therapist, someone who's trained in it first. You're not just talking to anybody, but an EMDR trained therapist, And you are going, they're kind of prompting you to go back to certain very traumatic memories of your life, which sounds terrifying and understandably so. But you're kind of, you're not, they're kind of prompting you, and you'll say a couple things and you go into your mind, and then they kind of stimulate bilateral parts of your mind, either visually or auditorily. So you'll hear sounds in alternating sides of your ear or visual, like cues of hands or like an object moving across your screen. So you can do it virtually also. Um, but what's happening is that you're, as you're thinking of the memory and, and emotions are coming up as you're being, your brain's being bilaterally stimulated, um, it's helping kind of clear the memory and, um, mm-hmm. it's very complex. And, and I, I don't think research fully, um, explains how it is that it, that it clears. It might not just happen in that session. It's multiple sessions possibly. Um, but it's a way of kind of bringing you back into the state of your trauma and bringing, Bringing your kind of emotions or hyper arousal surrounding it down. Um, Ah. That's kind of the basics of it, but it is something that you definitely want to see a trained EMDR therapist for. And people can, uh, uh, trauma can be treated with CBT also. That's another, there's a lot of research surrounding CBT based treatment for PTSD also.
0: Okay. Right, yeah, I think you definitely. Um, the invitation is out there, I'm putting it out there now. I usually do this after um, I end the episode. Putting the uh, invite out there now if you want to come back, I would love to have you back to talk about PTSD. I think that would be really great. Um, and for anybody that's listening, if you know or you are an EMDR trained therapist and you'd like to come on and you're ideally a black woman, hit me up.
1: I think it'd be uh, wonderful to speak on it.
0: More yes. More, yeah. Yes. If you know anybody, let me know. Um, I'm going to do some some uh, some research on um, and, and try to find somebody. So um, hopping over to the project that you're working on, which I think is really awesome. I know that you have basically created this whole online educational platform specifically for nurse practitioners um, and kind of giving them some guidance for like, students and people that have recently graduated, kind of guiding them through this transition period from graduation into practice. Can you tell us what it is and kind of your inspiration of of why that's something you, you decided to create?
1: Yeah. So back in 2020, I created a online like business called NP for NP, Nurtured Path for Nurse Practitioners. And it's really just uh, like you said, it's an online educational platform to help new grads and students enter practice. There, there's not a whole lot of support for new grads, um, probably across all healthcare fields, maybe just in general. But, but you learn, you learn things in school that you don't really learn about in practice, other than just trial by fire and experience. And that is not only incredibly stressful, but when you're working with with patients and people's lives, it's it's terrifying. And prescribing medications, and so. Um, to not have any sort of, um, kind of standardized, structured support can be really stressful, especially in that first year. And that was certainly my experience when I was, when I was a new grad, I was, um, yeah, just, just didn't feel like I was where I should have been. I I felt very, um, unsure and doubtful and stressed and I wish I'd had kind of more resources and education about what, what was to come, even, even before I was in practice, like, you know, getting board certified and licensed as a whole, uh, kind of, uh, stressful period of steps and, and interviewing for jobs, negotiating offer contracts and kind of dealing with imposter syndrome as a new grad, but advocating for the worth that you're, the, the salary that you're worth is something that's tricky. And you realize it after you've been in the job for about a year of like, wait a minute, like I'm actually generating really billable services and offering a lot of valuable skills. I, I should have been compensated for that. Um, and kind of understanding the nature of collaborative relationships and um, avoiding burnout and finding work life balance and navigating charting and documentation there's all these things that you just don't learn about in school because there's just so much to cover and so i'm kind of covering that in 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 my online platform through through courses so i have a course that's uh, called unshred unstoppable np and then a new course coming out specifically for psych nps of how to diagnose and treat various mental health conditions and so you can do it confidently and competently to provide quality treatment to patients
0: wow that is amazing and I'm not quite sure how you how you're doing that and your day job as a psych NP like this is I think it's really awesome so I do just want to give you your flowers because I think I really appreciate you taking the time out to come on and explain your career which I think I'm Mm -hmm. sure it gets annoying for people to not understand what you do but I think it's really really uh helpful that you've come on in and really get into the nitty-gritty of what a psychiatric nurse practitioner is, what you guys do, how you guys can help support people, um, how you can potentially be added to somebody's team that's, you know, if they're already seeing a therapist. um, I think it's super important for people to understand that there is this huge wheelhouse of mental health practitioners and getting to know like each role Um, I think only helps us figure out how to get help better, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. I I was drawn to this just because there's so much unsureness and mystery and stigma surrounding mental health in general. Um, And then you throw in, like, the nurse practitioner aspect, not knowing what it is – there's just too much stigma. And and I think having information gives you more knowledge to either decide that, yes, that's something I want to pursue or no, it's not. But just having the knowledge, I think, is super important. And so I was very much drawn to kind of share. And hopefully I've, I've provided a little bit of knowledge or clarity to those listening.
0: Yes. I mean, I learned a lot today. I'm sure there are people out there that have learned a lot today. Again, I really thank you for coming on, but can you tell the people where they can find you and then for anybody that is a recent grad or maybe they're in school and they're trying to like make sure that they're prepared once they're out of school um, as an NP, like where can they find you and how can they get in touch?
1: Yeah, so I am on Instagram at, at NP4NPs uh, or on Facebook at NP4NPs and then my website is np_for_nps.com. And so I am, I hang out primarily on Instagram, but I, I, I think my website is a great place for resources, blog information, and then I have a whole lot of freebie resources for students in school too that are helpful.
0: Awesome. Well, um, I, if you guys want to get in touch with Claire, uh, we'll definitely go follow her wherever pla- whatever platform you're living on nowadays. Make sure you go follow her. Make sure if you are a recent grad or you're a student, looking to become an np or you just know somebody that's an np and you're like they are struggling they need some help maybe claire can help them Um, please go take a look at the description all of claire's information will be in there you guys can reach out directly to her via social media or directly on her website um yeah but thank you claire i really appreciate this i think this is again um I appreciate the work that you're doing and I appreciate you taking time in the middle of the week to come on and uh, and, and join the podcast and provide this
1: education. Thank you so much for having me. I love Yay. the space that you're creating. Happy to be a part of it.
0: Yay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode. But until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. And on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's anxious, B-L-K, girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.